Hold on to your hats, the countdown to the biggest wellness event of the year is on. Join our side August 15 and 16 in Melbourne for not one, but two days of Powerhouse Wellness, featuring 11 of Australia's most inspiring, entertaining, educating, fermentating speakers. Damo, what is fermentating? MP, I'll tell you at the summit. Your favourite wellness couch speakers are joined by special guest Nat Kringudis on all things hormones and female health. Join the Up For A Chat girls, the wellness guys, the natural nutritionist Steph Lowe, Kale Brock, Quirky Cookings, Joe Witt, Marcus Pierce, and the rest of your favourite wellness couch podcasters. Regular and VIP tickets are still available, but hurry before this summit is sold out. For tickets, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com. The Wellness Summit is proudly brought to you by Well and You. Be someone that makes you happy. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team and welcome to the Real Food Reel. Today on the show we have Steve Ganjemi, natural healthcare doctor who has a doctorate degree in chiropractic and bachelor degree in nutrition. Steve is also an experienced Ironman triathlete and six-time Kona qualifier, and I'm looking forward to sharing his health and wellness perspective with you today. Hi, Steve, and thanks for joining us on The Real. Hey, Steph. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, it's exciting to have you here, and I'd love for you to start with us with your story, um, certainly your, your background in both um, health and wellness and triathlons. Sure. Um, so I guess, uh, after high school, I went to do my undergraduate degree in, uh, University of Miami in Florida way back in 92, 93. And then I got into, uh, I was already racing triathlons and I got into the Ironman circuit and started racing really well enough to, uh, get into the Kona Hawaii Ironman championship. Like you mentioned a good six times. And, uh, then I went into chiropractic school in, uh, 90 while I was still racing heavily and was sponsored by my school at the time in, uh, in Atlanta. And I started to integrate the whole, uh, philosophy of, uh, being healthy and being fit at the same time with my training. So I was able to, uh, integrate training heavily, obviously for Ironman triathlons, a lot of volume and, and, and sometimes a lot of intensity and not becoming injured along with going to school heavily, you know, heavy hours throughout the week and, you know, chiropractic schools full year round and, uh, stayed really healthy and actually, uh, you know, ended up doing 20 triathlons, Ironman triathlons throughout my career that I decided to kind of finish those up a few years ago without ever being injured. Not that I never had any aches and pains or anything like that, but I really stayed relatively healthy enough to, to race that long. A good, uh, a good 20 Ironmans along with a lot of other triathlons and endurance races during that period from, from 95, 96 to, to really uh, 2010 or so. And, and, uh, and really stay fit and, and healthy and, and race at a pretty high level, actually. So now I 
as a, as a chiropractic physician, I, I do a lot of, uh, or I see a lot of uh, athletes in the area, and um, I pretty much apply those same principles to these athletes on how to uh, how to manage fitness and health, and how to how to um, live healthy lifestyle, so you're not just a super fit but really unhealthy athlete like a lot of uh, endurance athletes unfortunately tend to be due to uh, overtraining and not taking care of their bodies. Yeah, that's very true. So that's obviously something that you like to educate others on. And um, we'll, we'll dive in there a little bit more, Steve. Um, you are affectionately known as Sock Doc. <laughs> yeah. So I'd love to hear more about the focus of your business. And let's keep chatting more around the difference between um, healthy and fit. Sure. Uh, well, the sock doc moniker comes from, I was always wearing socks in my office since I got into barefoot running and, uh, and that sort of more outdoor natural lifestyle. I do a lot of, uh, natural movement things now, uh, barefoot running, barefoot tree climbing, uh, outdoor, outdoor sorts of activities. So, uh, that's where that came about. And then in back in 90 or no, not 90, 2011, uh, started the stock doc website, which pretty much is a, a natural health and fitness type site. It's a, it's a way for athletes to look at how their injuries perhaps happen to them rather than just look at symptoms of their injuries, but actually the cause of their injuries, how to look at those injuries from a natural perspective. In other words, how to heal them naturally without hopefully any conventional methods, although those are obviously sometimes needed, and how to perform better and how to hopefully uh, not get injured again, how, you know, hopefully prevent further injuries and, and perform better at the same time while improving their health at the same time too. So they're becoming more fit, more healthy, uh, which is partly, of course, due to not getting injured and, and not becoming ill because that's one major thing that sets so many people back so they can't train as, as well or as consistently as they should be because they've always got something that comes up that prevents them from doing that. Yeah. So I noticed on both your sites actually that um, you feel a lot of athletes come to you after perhaps they've gone down the conventional route and maybe those prevention or injury management um, types have failed them. So could you tell us more around that and and largely your holistic approach? Sure. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, my line of work, um, you usually don't get too many people who come to me for like prevention. Um, that's just how it is, I guess, and probably the same for most doctors. You know, you don't go see someone unless you have a problem. It's not often thought of as a um, performance enhancing to a certain degree or, um, or prevention of, of injuries. Um, but I see people, I see athletes of all calibers from professional hockey players and, and division one soccer players in the area, since my office is right in the middle of Duke university and university of North Carolina, too big, obviously, um, scholastic and, and, uh, sports uh, universities. And I see, uh, you know, people who just are sort of weekend warriors or even just want to stay fit for, to, to, to be, to be fit and, and move well. But, um, a lot of people, you know, they've had, conventional methods, whether that be uh, a surgery or maybe they've been put in orthotics or maybe they're going to some sort of a therapy program that just isn't working because it's not actually addressing the problem. Again, they're sort of, uh, you know, say someone goes in because they have a knee problem, a knee ache or pain, and there's nothing obviously wrong with it and they're doing certain therapies or they're put in a brace or taped a certain way and it's just not addressing the problem because often 
we say that the problem uh, or the symptoms are, are the symptoms are distant from where the problem is actually is. So you know you can be run down due to overtraining. You can be eating improperly. You can be uh, you know just not recovering well, and you end up with an ache or a pain somewhere. Whether whether that you might call that tendonitis or bursitis or or whatever you may call it, but often where you're actually feeling the pain is not actually the reason. Uh, it, it's not actually addressing the reason for what's going on in your body. It's sort of just a symptom of a bigger, bigger overall cause. So people who then go and have these individual uh, therapies applied to exactly where that symptom is felt. And, you know, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And often when they do work, though, since they're not truly addressing the problem, then the person just ends up with another problem later on. Maybe that same problem comes back. Or maybe now if that knee, if that knee issue, say, is addressed, they end up with a foot problem later on or a hip issue. Or maybe it throws off their gait so their shoulder hurts on the other side because they're not moving properly you know, further down the line. So it's all about actually addressing the problem and addressing how people move and live and, and live and, uh, and go about their daily activities in a overall holistic uh, paradigm. Yeah, very cool. I think um, the, the idea of prevention, though, is um, I think what's really important rather than treating it um, or using it as treatment, I guess. We can holistically look at all the areas, I guess, to allow us to be in a state of, of prevention rather than management. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so if we could summarize, what would be your top five health and wellness suggestions to athletes specifically that would act in that preventative way? Okay. Uh, I would say the first one would be to actually train consistently. Um, a lot of athletes, you know, they might, well, let, let's give a good example of a common thing that I see for, for runners. You know, they might not have time to run during the week, but they've got to put in their long run because they're doing some maybe half marathon or something like that. So they might, if they're lucky, put in a five mile run during the week, but then they put in two crazy back-to-back days on Saturday and Sunday and train super heavily. And they end up getting injured or at least not being as fit and as healthy as they should be. So training consistently, I think, is is a big thing. You know, actually finding the time, even if it's only 15 minutes a day, to actually train throughout the week rather than try and throw them all in one day. Um, I'll say number two would be to train smart. And that has to do with duration and frequency. So a lot of people want to you know, train longer and train harder all the time. That's where that whole thing of like chronic cardio gets such a bad rap with so many endurance athletes because people aren't training at a low uh, intensity um, and, uh, and uh, they're, they're, they're not training at a low intensity when they're training for a long duration. So they're training super hard for a super long distance and they end up getting, uh, getting injured. So it's more important to think about if you're going to train long, then you train at a lower intensity. And likewise, if you're going to train, uh, you know, harder, like a high intensity interval workout, then you're training for a shorter, shorter duration. So you got to sort of mix and match how hard and how long you're going. Um, let's say the third one would be to rest well. 
And that doesn't necessarily mean you don't do anything on your one or two rest days during the week or however your plan is, but you're actually using things like active recovery, especially if you're injured or you're starting to get injured. Uh, passive recovery tends not to be as effective as active recovery. So it's important to, uh, you know, move and, and uh, even if that just means going for a, an easy bike ride or a paddleboard or a nice easy walk to rest and recover well. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with eating well all the time. Uh, that doesn't mean, you know, sugar is the worst thing in the world and you can't have a treat here and there, but a lot of people only eat well, uh, maybe during the week and they don't eat well on the weekends or they only eat well when they're actually training for something rather than be, it's kind of like training, you know, training consistently all the time, eat well all the time. And the fifth one, I would have to say, make sure you enjoy what you're doing because a lot of people do not, or they get into a rut, they're not happy with their performance or they're not happy with the activity or sport that they're doing anymore. And sometimes we just all have their, our highs and lows and you know that you just snap back eventually. And there's other reasons for that happening too. But if you're just sort of not into it anymore, then it's probably a time to move on and find a new activity. <laughs> it makes a lot of common sense, doesn't it? But it's not always yeah. um, it's not always simple in practice. You got it. Cool. So I want to go back to the overtraining comment that you made early because I think this is quite relevant. Um, certainly, we know with endurance athletes that can act as quite a big stressor on the body and in that overtraining environment, even more so. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like you to touch on the overtraining side of things and then if we could talk more around stress for endurance athletes and, and certainly how that's so detrimental to performance. Yeah, um, I've seen overtraining get a lot, of, um, a lot of press over here in the U.S. actually recently. It was just a huge article on Outside Magazine that I was reading a, a few weeks ago. Um, you know, overtraining is still, it's kind of weird. It's like a lot of people still look at it like a mystery of, of where it starts and, and, and what it does to a person because overtraining can be as simple as you're just not performing as well as what you once were. And it can be as extreme as you have, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome or, you know, flu-like symptoms, or, you know, you, you have a major illness as a result of, training so hard, or you can also look at it as not recovering as well as you should be. Because obviously exercise is, a, is an equation, right? It's a fitness plus rest. You've got recovery in there. You've got daily lifestyle stresses too. So it's all about how someone can manage what they're trying to achieve. Since most people out there, you know, are not professional athletes, we're all trying to juggle uh, work and family along with our fitness or along with our, our sport depending on how, how competitive we want to be. So you have to factor all those things in if you're, you know, working heavily or, or long hours and not sleeping well, and you've got to, you know, cart the kids around one day, yet you still want to train intensely, or you want to train a, a long endurance event at a certain time, you've got to weigh all those things in and how it's going to uh, factor into your health, obviously. And that's when people become overtrained and they, um, they end up causing all these problems from immune system issues to uh, hormonal issues to uh, obviously aches and pains, which result in, in, in injuries very commonly. Yeah. 
So just to clarify, are you saying that overtraining is not necessarily just coming from doing too much on the bike or in running kilometres? It's more from the accumulation of, of all the life stresses? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and of course, you know, you can always overdo a sport, I mean, mm. or, or an activity. I mean, you're, everybody has their breaking point. But if, you know, if, if, if your job is only to train on the bike, you could easily probably put in several hundred miles a week. But if you've got other responsibilities in life, you know, I mean, I, I've done it when I was in school, you know, I might've been, a, you know, for Ironman, I could put in a, a week of training 20, 20 on hours pretty, pretty heavily. But, uh, you know, you only can do that for one or two weeks if you've got other responsibilities in life. Yeah, very true. And I think people try yeah. and keep, um, well, they keep staring at that red line, hoping it's going to be uh, sustainable when in most cases it's not. That's right. Yeah, the red line. The old red line. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've been so, there. <laughs> yeah, have you? Yes. I think we all have in some way, shape or form. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so what do you do from a stress management point of view? If we recognize the significance of stress and that it's a part of life for everyone and endurance athletes that are, you know, age groupers and working full time in particular, how do you mm-hmm. teach the management of stress? Okay. Well, one of, one of the first things I like to tell people is, is you – Oh, an important thing to do is to recognize when you are actually starting to break down. So it's important to realize that the day you're out running and your knee starts to hurt or you're out swimming and your shoulder starts to hurt is not the day that you actually started to break down. It's the day of your injury, but most likely there were things occurring before then that I like to call like the little warning signs of overtraining. And those can be things, I'd say one of the most obvious things that people tend not to pay attention to is their sleep patterns. Um, And that'll also get into what you can do to obviously improve your health and and wellness and and improve how well you can train too is is to sleep better. But when you're pumping out a lot of cortisol because you're training too hard, then you suppress your melatonin levels, which you know, obviously should be turning on at night or increasing at night to allow you to sleep well. You get this divergence of cortisol and melatonin. So now you're up all night, you're starting to have blood sugar swings, or, or maybe you're just up for certain hours during the night or, you, or you're tossing and turning. Most people, when they when they uh, start to really pump up their cortisol levels, they're, they're awake usually around 2.30 to 4 a.m. Or, or at least a pattern like that. Um, there's other signs that people get like uh, orthostatic hypotension, which means your blood pressure actually drops when you stand up or when you get up from sitting or out of your bed quick. And people say, well, I just got up too quickly. But actually, in a healthy individual, your blood pressure should change very quickly, very efficiently. So you stay alert and you and you don't get any dark spots in your eyes or dizzy as you go from a lying to sitting to standing position. So if your blood pressure doesn't rise as you rise, as you elevate your body, then it drops a little bit. And that's typically due to because your adrenal glands are just starting to be depleted from training too hard. Um, allergies is another big thing that, that athletes tend to get. They start becoming allergic to things. And that can be, you know, grass, pollen, things outside, environmental issues. But also they start to suffer from food allergies. Or you start to get the sniffles or, or just come, kind of like common colds more often. And you, you, you think it's just because you're around sick people. Um, another common thing is just uh, a good old eyelid twitch. It's actually called a blepharospasm when your actually eyelid starts to twitch a little bit. That's a sign that your sympathetic and you know, parasympathetic nervous system is, uh, is under a lot of stress. And that's a good one to look at along with uh, sensitivity to bright lights and sensitivity to loud noises. That's a good sign for, you, for someone to look at to uh, see if they're uh, 
if they're too stressed out. In other words, you know, you feel like you need to wear sunglasses a lot, and especially on a cloudy day when it's really not that bright out. Or if maybe you're in your kitchen and one of your kids or someone drops like a, a pan and it makes a loud bang, but you just kind of freak out and you're overly startled. That's a good one to, uh, to look at. And then of course your mood, you know, are you kind of being a, I don't know what you say over there, but here in the U.S., we might kind of say a guy's kind of being like a dick. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could say that on your show. You just yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> so, or, or, you know, the women too, they might have the other word that I won't use, but, uh, you know, pe- in other words, you start to get like really grumpy or agitated, um, you know, kind of irritable a lot and your blood sugar, you start to have blood sugar swings when you're, when you're uh, starting to overtrain. So because your, 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 uh, your adrenal glands help balance your blood sugar. So you're not getting the proper glucose to your brain. You're not thinking straight. That's going to affect your concentration too. And just your overall, not just uh, physical performance, but your mental performance. So you kind of got to look at the whole picture and not just think about, okay, an injury or me feeling super fatigued is a sign of overtraining, but all these things that happen way before you actually feel the fatigue or feel the injury. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because particularly when we're talking about adrenal health, it's it's very chronic, you know, that certainly doesn't happen overnight. So we know that when we see those symptoms or, you know, certainly in our clients when we do their salivary hormone panel and we see quite a degree of adrenal dysfunction that it's been a, a situation of chronic stress. So that that moment that you mentioned is probably, you know, even over a year ago and it's about identifying um, how to start to reverse those behavioral patterns that got you there in the first place. Absolutely, yeah. Very good. So um, I also noticed on your website that you um, obviously consult with clients but you recommend specific blood work. I wanted mm-hmm. to chat more about that um, and certainly that holistic treatment that you do and if we could link that in with your thoughts on supplements for athletes as well. Sure. Um, I know. Well, let's, so with the blood work, uh, in my office, I do, um, well, my neurological evaluation, which includes my musculoskeletal evaluation when I'm seeing someone, you know, face to face in my office, which my appointments are typically one to two hours long. I'm doing a lot of manual muscle testing. That's how I evaluate someone's physical and, and nutritional status. So my blood work I use sometimes or when I recommend blood work that someone gets some work done is to um, either a substantiate what I'm looking to uh, evaluate in that person or because that person just has something kind of you might just say like funky going on and we need more information to what's what's up with that. So a common thing, you know, for athletes would be, uh, you know, a standard CBC to see if they're anemic. And and one of the things a lot of people miss in these CBCs because the the ranges have changed over the years, especially in the last 20 years, you know, the ranges are a lot of a lot of blood values, especially in the complete blood counts of the CBC, which is your red and white cell counts, um, have become much larger than what they once were. In other words, uh, a lot of people fit into the normal values, even though they're not the best indicators that something's wrong. Um, because the, the ranges used to be much more narrow back in the 80s, and then they increased them. So a lot of people think that their blood work's okay when it really might not be as good as what it should be. Yeah, and certainly um, just being yeah. inside normal isn't optimal health, isn't for those of us that it have isn't. huge performance goals. 
Right. And one thing I'll share, which, which a lot of people um, realize in their blood work is um, in, in the CBC, is uh, the MCV, which stands for the mean cellular, or some people call it the mean corpuscular volume. And that, that value, um, and depending on the lab, and we even see labs here, you know, I see people bring in different labs or different lab results from different companies. And, and the, the, the numbers can be anywhere from uh, 98 and above is flagged. Some of them are over 100. But if the MC, if your MCV is typically over 91, which is the volume of your red blood cell, it's often a sign that you're, uh, or what? Not often. It's what it's telling you is that your red blood cell is too large, and it's it's the start or of or can actually in, in eventually become what people call megoblastic anemia when your red blood cells are just larger than what they should be because your red blood cells actually mature from large to small and then they're released from the bone marrow and when they're released too soon if you can kind of imagine like your capillaries you know you know flowing throughout your throughout your body can only fit so many red blood blood cells through them and if these are too large, then they obviously can fit a lot less than if they were the proper size, you know, where the MCV is, is under that 91 range. So the number one reason why you see today of a high MCV is typically from folic acid and B12 deficiencies, which are, are really common uh, in most people because they're either not eating the, the foods with those nutrients in them or they're just depleting them up at a high rate due to... Uh, I mean, a variety of conditions. So uh, that's one that's one blood work I usually have all athletes uh, check out. You know, and then there's the standard stuff. I'm sure uh, you know you do like uh, you know chem panels and, and lipid panels and all these sorts of things. But um, I don't know anything specific to say about those unless you had a question. I guess. Oh no, I think it's more the point, like that we do treat holistically and that you can have yeah. a look at blood work, but then certainly the individual as well. So numbers enough obviously aren't uh, aren't enough on their own, and it's about right. looking at the individual and combining the two. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm, I'm glad you say that because I think a lot of people get their blood work done, and you can look at it either way. They get their blood work done, and they say, "Well, my blood work's perfect," like like a, like the average person going in for a physical, but they have the, all these health ailments that are never that that probably might not show up on your blood work, right? But your blood work looks good, but you feel terrible. And then you get the opposite where someone or a lot of things show up on your blood, blood work, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you should chase individual things down because, you know, your blood work is only a snapshot of something going on at a particular time and you have to sort of integrate it in with what's going on with the person and, 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 uh, and, and the whole picture. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that you never want to use a, a blood test or a blood result as a final diagnostic uh, a report. It's it's about how it all fits in with your health and and the history of the person and and what's going on with them. Yeah, and certainly trends over time. We see, you know, yes. large genetic variations in in something like cholesterol and um, triglycerides. So trends over time are more important than single numbers or reference ranges from fifty years ago. That's right. Yeah. And so, in terms of supplements, is this how you approach? perhaps your supplement protocol with clients or do you even recommend supplements at all? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, ideally you want to get everything from your food, but of course, you know, that's often not possible, especially when someone's under a lot of stress or maybe they have some genetic issue or, or whatever the reason. I mean, hopefully they're eating well enough and, and obviously the better someone eats organically and whole foods, the less nutrients they're going to need to um, either prevent issues or help them recover from whatever issue it is. 
but I, I actually use, I do a lot of indicator testing, which means we have people taste certain nutrients and we see how the function of their muscles change. You know, it's, it's, all, it's in a way of uh, how your, the sensory aspect of your nervous system affects the motor output of your body. So you can see actually changes in range of motion, changes in pain patterns and changes in mus- muscle function when someone tastes or even smells certain food substances or nutrients. So that's how I evaluate whether someone needs, uh, you know, fish oil or vitamin B6 or, or whatever the case. Again, based off what is going on with their body. So if I see someone with an inflammatory condition, then I might recommend or try different supplements, obviously based off that, like, you know, fish oils and magnesium and B6, as opposed to if it was an adrenal gland issue, then I might look for certain B vitamins or, or herbs like, you know, holy basil or ashwagandha or something like that based upon what's going on with the person. Yeah, beautiful. Perfect. So let's talk food then. Obviously, this is a real food reel, and we've probably gathered that <laughs> you you like you know you obviously support whole food. But what would be your number one piece of nutrition advice? Hmm, uh, that would be to don't have a cheat day where you just trash your entire body. Hmm. I think that I think that's what I'm going to go with. Um, you know, because you know it's not that you have to eat perfect all the time. But, you know, everybody, I don't think sugar is an evil thing, but of course, I think you shouldn't be eating sugar every day. Of course, the white refined stuff and, and you know, you should never be eating hydrogenated fats or rancid oils or, or high fructose corn syrup and artificial colors and flavors and all those other things. But a lot of people I see, they want to eat really well during the week or they're on these sort of diets where they've, they've got to eat just so well for six days and then on the seventh day, they call it their cheat day, which you know, they just, they just eat whatever. And they, you know, they eat fast food during that day. They eat anything refined they go crazy on coffee and they just wreck their body. And the thing is, when you do that, you don't recover from that the next day. Uh, you know, that takes, that takes several days for you to recover. So you're not going to see, uh, true health, true healing and, and, and true health improvements from doing that type of, uh, dietary plan. Yeah, a really good point. And we had this conversation with uh, all of our listeners and certainly our clients because we're all spending our week really trying to work on our metabolism and, and convert back to that natural fat burning mechanism. Um, but then obviously when you overdo the, the refined foods or the coffee or both on the weekend, it can take up to four days to get back into that that nice comfortable state where your blood sugar is controlled and your hunger is managed and your satiety is present. So it, it can be a question of, is it worth it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's good. I mean, you tell them four days, I tell them, I tell my patients, you know, 72 hours to three days, but still, yeah, it's, it's you're already into the next week, right? Yeah. <laughs> before, pretty... you're about to, before you're about to screw yourself up again a couple of days after that. <laughs> yeah. You basically have two <laughs> days left before it happens all over again. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Very good. So what does a day on your plate look like? Give us an idea of the t- kinds of food you're eating for your main meals. Um, well, my main meals, I mean, I'm always looking for, I, I like to preach, including, of course, to myself, I do practice what I, what I preach, that I try and eat enough fat and protein for my three main meals so I can go a good five to six hours without needing to eat again. And then my carbohydrates of those meals, which, you know, might be something starchy like buckwheat or, you know, some plantains or sweet potatoes or something like that. And every now and then I even have like rice. I'm not a hundred percent paleo. Uh, 
that that's based off my training intensity duration that sort of thing so for breakfast i eat usually bacon eggs depending on what i feel like that day or a variety of both sometimes i have like buckwheat whey pancakes with all those you know obviously grass-fed whey cottage cheese again from you know really good sources sometimes a little bit of fruit uh lunch for me is almost always a really good multi uh, vegetable type of uh, salad with sardines um, and sometimes a piece of fruit it depends and dinner uh, several hours later would be similar like meat and vegetables to some degree and again maybe I'll throw a starchy something there depending on if I feel like I need it and then for snacks I'm usually like uh, sometimes some dark chocolate like 80 85% or more cacao, heavy cream, fruit, grass-fed yogurt, that sort of thing. That's pretty much my day. Sounds good to me. So what have you got coming up for the rest of 2015? Have you got some things you can share with us, Steve? Yeah, well, I'll be in, uh, I have, uh, I, I do these sock dog training and treatment workshops where I actually uh, have groups of six to seven or eight people where we do uh, three and a half days of outdoor movement, barefoot, or hopefully barefoot, at least in minimalist shoes, um, outdoor training, running, climbing trees, how to carry things properly, uh, a lot of crawling activities. And at the same time, I treat people through through my way that I evaluate and, and treat people, uh, and, uh, their whole body holistically. So I'm in Denmark in a couple weeks, and uh, but for you guys, I'm actually going to be in Brisbane uh, in uh, when early November, I think. It's on my sock doc site, but uh, yeah, I'm hoping to be out there. I need a couple more people to uh, fill my slot. So if anybody's interested, there's a there's a link on the sock doc site for my Australian workshop, and then I'll be back in. Uh, in London again in early 2016. Beautiful. So, so we'll pop that yeah. link in the show notes for you, Steve. And and where is the blog and where can we find you on social media? Sure. I'm uh, Well, my website, sock-doc.com on social media. And I'm under I'm there under Facebook at the Sock Doc. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all that other fun stuff where the, I guess probably just click on those icons on my website. How's that? Perfect. <laughs> We'll go yeah. straight to the website team and, and start to follow Steve if you want to know more. So thanks so much for sharing your thoughts today, Steve. It was great to have you on The Real. And thanks, Steph. we look forward to seeing you in Australia soon. That's great. Appreciate it. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.